Ah, new episode. Time to open up Twitter and see what hot button issues we can talk about this week. Let me just take a big sip of the... Oh God! Oh Jesus God! Oh, it's all on fire. It's all a mess! Oh God, no! Oh, this is terrible! Gotta go back! D- do the ritual! What What was What was it again? Drink a whiskey drink! Drink a vodka drink! Drink a lager drink! Drink a cider drink! It's working! I'm going back to life! Back to reality! Back to the 90s! Hello, welcome to episode 33 of We Don't Talk About the Weather, political discussion that to the uninitiated may just sound like screaming and crying. I'm Adam, and I'm here with Hugh. Hello. And we're here to talk about politics. Not yeah. this week's news this week. All the last weeks. We had a week we, off. We did have a week off. My, Explain. My dog was... I thought my dog was dying. Oh, she was super old. shit. Um, so yeah, that was a lot of stress. Um, but she's all good now. She's still old, but she's all good. Yeah. Um, and, you know, doing stuff really for my daughter's birthday. Oh. Did you teach your dog any new tricks? No, um, I taught her how to not die. Cool. That's a that's a, the best trick. We had a really bonding moment. I went into a noon, the land of the dead, yeah. and I brought her back. <laughs> yeah. Um, I had a fight with Chiron. <laughs> uh, Bowkeeper of the dead. A noon's the Welsh one. <laughs> it's the place where it's just grey and you're not hungry anymore. Fucking grim. <laughs> I shouldn't read the map. Anymore. It's a really depressing fantasy book. <laughs> But yeah, so and, cliched. And, you know, sorted out stuff for my daughter. But yeah, she's all good now. And everything's all sorted. Mm-hmm. So now we can start doing stuff again. Also, yeah. we just we don't want to do about weekly politics anymore because it's bullshit. I don't like the Labour Party that much because Paul Mason keeps on turning up on my Twitter feed and he says things like, hey, guess what I like? I like war. Hey, guess what <laughs> I like? I like kicking out immigrants. So no, I don't like him. <laughs> we made the decision... We made the decision before last week hmm. to uh, to like go back to like we always wanted to like do like feature episodes like hmm. things that we were interested in or thoughts we'd had and make an episode out of those. But then the election kind of came along and events, 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 yeah. and now we're back on track. And it's a good job because everything's on fire. Yeah, everything's on fire. Um, um, it's like it's kind of it's. Glad Labour Party are doing well. It's kind of hilarious that people are listening to the likes of Guido Fawkes with regards to yeah. homophobic abuse. But, you know. Yeah. Well, it kind of reminds me of, and segue, hmm? the kind of era of John Major and Sleaze. Yeah. Because that's the period we're in now. Like, yeah. A lot of people tried to kind of position may and corbyn and all that kind of thing in terms of who they are historically like 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 what can you most liken this situation to at the moment yeah and like i think people i think probably the most accurate one is john major yeah a lot of people did knee jerk comparisons between may and thatcher because they're women and they both got horrible hair yeah but realistically she's john major she's she's horrible and she's not very good at her job (laughs) and she's incredibly dull um, but yeah, yeah, so we're doing the 90s. Yeah. Um, this is going to be a two-parter. I think we're going to try and do Tony Blair next week, but we're going to focus on John Major this week. Yeah. Yeah. Because a lot of people, we, there's a load of stuff on Blair because he was such a break with the past. I think mm. there's there's like almost like an over-analysis of what to me seems like at the time was a very simple project. But John Major, a lot of stuff happened under his his tenure in Britain as like politically and culturally yeah that i don't feel like gets explored enough there are a lot of chats about like obviously the like the europe stuff Mm. is is 
probably what he's most famous for, Europe and Sleaze. Mm. Um, but I don't. I was actually looking for books on like the major years, and there's like two or three, mm. maybe like as a, a like an examination of like what it was as a moment in in British history. Yeah, you know. Um, so a background on uh, just John Major. I'll try and try and keep this as, as brief as possible. Then we're going to a load of facts. Last thing we want is facts on this podcast. No, we don't want facts. Um, so obviously. Thatcher been in power for since 1979. Mm. Um, by 1990, um, she had really started to run out of steam. Yeah. Poll tax riots, um, the European exchange rate rec- mechanism was a, a thing. She was on kind of her last legs, but being Thatcher, probably didn't recognise it. Yeah, refused to give up power. <laughs> she got a couple of leadership challenges. Um, she won both of them, but actually had to go to a second round against Michael Heseltine when he challenged her for the leadership. Mm. And then she had a massive drop and quit. <laughs> <laughs> that was in November 1990. Um, in the following leadership contest after she'd quit, John Major then beat Michael Heseltine as the mm. kind of centrist, mm. you know, mm. again, applicable to the modern, to the contemporary way that... Theresa May came into power. Yeah. In that they couldn't agree on somebody, so they got a kind of bland centrist. Yeah. The economy was not doing well. No. There was massive double-digit inflation. Um, Interest rates had skyrocketed. There was a massive housing crisis. Again, does this sound... (laughs) That's all like uh, modern modern time. When Thatcher had come to power in 1979, about 10% of children lived in households whose income was less than half the national average. By 1993, that figure was 33%. Inflation had gone up to, yeah, like I say, about 9.5% by 1990. And they had decided to... In order to get this under control, they decided to embrace... Kind of use a European connection. There were still Thatcher was always very suspicious of Europe, as we've mm. detailed before. But a lot of the Tory party wanted to mimic someone like West Germany, yeah. who had this successful, dynamic, capital, shiny capitalist economy due mm. to infusions of American money yeah. after the Second World War. Yeah. So they tied them into something called the European Exchange Rate Mechanism, which was like basically we're going to keep our currency, we're going to value our currency about the same as mm. as Germany's. We're going to peg it to Germany's currency. Yeah. So kind of Britain had been tied to the germ, tried to tie itself to the German economy in mm. a way because like they kind of run out of economic ideas because mm. they can't raise taxes because that's the whole point of the Thatcher project. Yeah. They can't spend any more money. They've lost all their manufacturing base. Yeah. So that means you really shouldn't be trying to copy West Germany Mm -hmm. because you don't have a manufacturing base, which West Germany was, that's what it had. That's what it had, yeah. And help for for American money (laughs) and sassy cool terrorists (laughs) rather than lazy Irish ones. (laughs) So all of this kind of economic woes, there's a lot of houses being repossessed, a lot of people starting to lose jobs again, economy overheating. Government have made it so that they can't really do anything about it. Labour Party's up. In the opinion polls mm. under Neil Kinnock, I think they have about an eight, like about an eight point lead mm. going into the ninety two election. John Major has maybe has maybe two a two year honeymoon period, mm. where he's really just kind of continuing what Thatcher started. He actually starts attacking some of the things that yeah, she down. never she never touched. So like um, trains, railway privatization, electric privatization, mm. uh, yeah, things like that. Yeah. Trains to get rid of those disgusting British rail sandwiches. <laughs> that was it. Was 
it was privatised solely so that they could get better sandwiches. And they didn't. It's a pure failure of privatisation. It's what Marx talks about. Well, they go on about... sandwiches. It's the main thing they go on about on the radio when they talk about um, the... If we go back to the days of British Rail, is the quality of the sandwiches. Yeah. And admittedly, I have had a sandwich on a, on one of the... On like a virgin train. And when the sandwiches are there, <laughs> it's quite a nice sandwich. But also... It's a very expensive sandwich because for the right to go to the expensive buffet car, I have just spent seventy pound to go to Nottingham. <laughs> um, yeah, the, so the privatisation of the railways is underway. Um, apparently, I was reading up about this. It's because of an EU directive. What did we privatise them? Yes, it assisted it. Obviously, the impulse came from the yeah. privatisers of the Thatcher major era. Well, yeah, they wanted to do it. They wanted to do it, but there's an EU directive that required all EU member states to separate the management of railway operation and infrastructure from the provision of railway transport services. Hmm. The idea being that the track operator would charge the train operator a transparent fee to run its trains over the network, and anyone else could also run trains under the same conditions. Such a (laughs) dumb idea. Yeah, yeah, it's a real dumb idea. So all this leading up to the kind of the 92 election, mm. obviously you've still got the Thatcher hangover. Major is kind of, bit, John Major's being given a chance. Yeah. He's kind of a, he's a different character from Thatcher. He's a bit more uh, willing to be democratic in, in cabinet by all, by all accounts. Mm. He, was, he was not quite as dictatorial and not quite as forceful, but of course the tabloid industry that had grown up around then mm. didn't, really like that because they had gotten used to this this mother figure figure. this one big figure who you could always count on to say something at least interesting probably controversial Mm. maybe fill a few fill a few column inches with it yeah where they start to get super lazy yeah yeah so it's all leading up to the 92 election their neck the Labour fractionally ahead in the opinion polls they reckoned it would be a hung parliament but uh the Tories would hang on but by maybe three seats or so Mm. What actually happened was that although the Tories didn't absolutely massacre them, they won about 25 seats, mm. had about a 25-seat majority. Um, there are loads of studies that have gone into why this was, mm. but it yeah, seems... like Labour did a study to try and work out why. They, they, they tried to work it out, and it wasn't particularly one thing or the other. There was Neil Kinnock, who people didn't like. Oh, no, he's horrible. People did, yeah, but at that point, like he, he was... Perhaps not appealing in a kind of like photogenic sense, mm. in a media sense, but mm. he had, he had promised, like they had promised immediately to like reverse the privatisation of the railways. They yeah. promised to change attack uh, on trade unions and all that kind of stuff that Thatcher had, had cracked down on. Mm. So, like, yeah, you'd think he, that people would. Have you'd think that. that at least some people would have really pushed for it, and mm. there were Labour still had a big kind of. Well, not middle-aged, but kind of a, a younger base mm. than the Tories. The Tories still had the old the old people who kind of venerated the war and venerated Churchill and all that gener- kind of stuff. They've just got a whole generation of people who bought council houses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which are still happy with their council houses. Yeah. <laughs> and this is the point where they're not having to commute for miles and miles for work, so they're not furious about the trains yet. Yeah. They don't use the trains as mm. much. Yeah. That was a that was a thing with the trains. Actually, they they did say that it was it was considered at the time to be a way of managing the train, like the retirement of trains as a thing. <clears throat> like privatizing it would just be the final nail in the coffin of something that wasn't relevant. Because cars. Because cars. Oh, for fuck's sake. 
<laughs> yeah, they'd uh, they'd pre- like John Major presided over kind of the end of. I mean, it was it was mainly happened during Thatcher's Thatcher's time, but it was mm. technically John Major who presided over like the end of communism, all those animating forces around, like the hard right turn in the seventies, mm. like f- in, international fear of communism and a kind of internal fear of trade unions mm. and things like that. All those enemies had kind of been defeated. Yeah. So there was a lot of Tories who'd been in power for a long time, a long time. Oh yeah. And they had gotten, what, how would you say it? A bit Versailles. <laughs> <laughs> they got an all Versailles about it. <laughs> and there, was, um, there were constant sleaze campaigns. Yeah. Sleaze, uh, sleaze um, revelations yeah. in the papers. Well, if you will hang out with David Mallow, you're going to get covered in filth. <laughs> that man's always, like... David Mellor, it's like, you can't really tell much about a person by how they look, but David Mellor, you can. You totally can. Yeah, it's great. Like after he'd he'd won the um, after he'd won the the election, obviously he probably had he had felt he had a mandate. This was when he could really start governing. Yeah. Unfortunately, what he was governing over was the remains of of, of Thatcherism, like mm. shattered communities that hadn't quite they hadn't quite coalesced back into what they would become in like the Blair era, where mm. it became like a consumer. A consumer-driven culture. Yeah, the classes in the old communities had been broken and had never quite filled that gap with, mm. you know, heroin or <laughs> or uh, pop-up cake shops. Mm. Mm. So he leaned really hard into like moral traditionalism and kind of cultural traditionalism. Yeah. So everywhere, education. He's like he he uh, starts up Ofsted. Mm. Which its first head, Chris Woodhead, is like the is like the Toby Young archetype. <laughs> or it's it's so weird that all of the things that you hear now that are kind of tired talking points, they all have their like origin in the the major era. So Chris Woodhead is always talking about ah, you see, I need to break the backs of the you know the uh, monolithic teachers unions <laughs> and these progressive liberal educators. It's like I don't. I've heard a lot of um, people talk about being educated in the 70s and 80s. Mm. Indeed, I was. Mm. I don't remember it being that, like, you've got a kind of stereotype of, like, hippie education and liberal education with no grades. And it's Mm. like, that does not sound like any school I've ever been to or anyone I've ever talked to. No. Well, we went to, um, our school was was never going to be a kind of hippie school. I remember we had one teacher that... Not many 300-year-old hippie schools. No. Because we had that one teacher who... I think he started when we started, um, who had dreadlocks, the white guy with dreadlocks. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And by the time we left, he'd had, he had a smart haircut. And he was <laughs> a very shouty man. <laughs> and he'd become like the rest of them. He was like one of us, one of us. And that's the kind of thing. Yeah, but that, so we didn't really see any of these kind of... But I imagine that nowhere had the kind of hippie teachers that you'd imagine... That probably only exist in the fever dreams of conservatives. Yeah, it's an like, imagined it's an imagined enemy. Like um that Tory um this um that came out this week who wanted to find out all the lecturers who were talking about Brexit. Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> like a, it's an imagined idea of like the in the the academic sphere being full of all these lefties. They're not really. Yeah, when you've seen when you've seen them kind of try to work out who the enemy is, because mm. as you understand, there's always an enemy. Oh, there has to be. Um when you've seen them go round the houses a few times to work out who the enemies are, like 
it gets very, very tiring. I think we're probably in the cycle now where everybody has tired of the yeah. of the thing. And you, when you hear people like talk about Im- immigrants are the, are the classic mm. um, imagined enemy because mm. it's like, well, they're both a social problem and a political problem. Also, and a problem to you personally because they're, you know, they're all rapers or, yeah. or assaulters Immig- or whatever. Immigrants are, re- are a really good enemy as well because like, even when people get used to um, when people get used to Windrush, mm. then you can start complaining about Pakistanis. Yes. When people start getting really in, like when by the time like everyone's really into curry, um, then they can start complaining about po- the Polish. Yeah. And then when people have gotten used to how good a Polsky slap it, slap is, yeah. Then you know you've got nine eleven to like remind everyone again about Muslims. <laughs> yeah. Um, and with Muslims, you've got the double thing as well because race, uh, a religion, not a race. Even yeah. though they look awfully like a racialized other to me. Yeah. And um, it's one of the great gifts of the Conservative Party, the EU, because even by the time that people have gotten used to the Polish, then you've got the Bulgarians <laughs> who are kind of the same, yeah, but also very scary and different, yeah. And then you've got the Romanians. It's like this brilliant thing. The immigrant is like the best, the best, like imagined, like thing to be afraid of because it changes all the time as well. With the so with the kind of staggered EU, um... see the Nazis wasted their time with just picking one, just picking <laughs> the Jews, because people were obviously going to like if they if the Nazis had won, after a while people would have gone like, no, no, I'd like Jews. That's to often what people complained about the Nazis. <laughs> Not imaginative Lacked, enough. Lacked a dynamism. <laughs> Yeah. They lacked a fluid, flexible view of the world, the Nazis. What I'm saying is if I was going to construct a fascist society with an, uh, an other to, for everyone to focus on, mm. it would be an ever-changing other yeah. to keep them on their toes. <laughs> so they, there's, you see it, I used education as an like, example, but there, there's a real, like, we look at it now and we look at Tories coming out with like old racial slurs mm. or old weird like scolding outbursts yeah and they did used to do it in thatcher's time but like major's time was the real like kissing my fingers <laughs> wah time mm. for that kind of thing so it's like um edwina curry coming out and saying that like talking about sky tv it was sky tv then not, not flat screen tvs another yeah. imagined enemy yeah or you know um she's not religious herself but she said that only uh, a good christian Men don't get AIDS. Not only is she not religious, I believe she's from a Jewish background. <laughs> so I don't know where that comes from. Well, no, you know exactly what it is. I know it's, exactly um, what it is, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, that's the thing, I think we talked about earlier, um, by the time you've got John Major, mm. the leftover Tories, they're, like, and the thing is with Edwina Curry with... Um, Talk about good Christian men. It's just like it's a dog whistle. It's a it's a signifier. Yes. Stuff. Yeah. These the by this point the Tories the Tories who wave the flag and stuff. It's not real. No. It's um I, I believe Thatcher probably in like her blackened heart it did bleed red white and blue. Um, I think she was for America. <laughs> I think she. I think she probably. She probably did believe in a lot of the patriotic bullshit. I don't think Boris Johnson believes it for a fucking second, and no. I don't believe that Edwina Curry did either. Also, Boris is too much of a product of cosmopolitan like okay. modernity to be that like Thatcher. Despite having been in London and having been around, I imagine a reasonable variety of people and experiences throughout her life remained really fucking parochial. Mm. She was really, she was always like the grocer's daughter, the mm. slur that they always threw at her. Mm. She was always the grocer's daughter in her heart. She had that, like, imagine, like, nostalgia mm. at the back of it all. Mm. And 
the today's Tories don't have that mm. because they're too fucking rich. Mm. Which is why all the weird outbursts come from the councillors who never move away from yeah. their town or their borough. Yeah. It's 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 really odd. In fact, that kind of like that kind of traditionalism was like what he became known for mm. and also getting repeatedly owned <laughs> on it. So like he's famous for his back to basics speech. Hmm. He gave it in '93. I think it was just after the uh, the European exchange rate mechanism has collapsed. Hmm. Things were fucked. Like hmm. the Tories were no longer to be trusted on the economy. That was the whole thing. That was the important. They were never trusted again. <laughs> and they were never trusted again. They would never be allowed anywhere near the reins of power. He kind of fell back on trying to like square that Thatcher circle hmm. in a way because all of the kind of community that she harked back to was exactly the thing that her policies had destroyed. Yeah. He gives this back to back, back to basic speech. Let's read a couple of bits from it. I think that many people, particularly those of you who are older, <laughs> it's a Tory party conference, so yeah, yeah they are, yeah. see things around you in the streets and on your television screens which are profoundly disturbing. We live in a world that sometimes seems to be changing too fast for comfort. Old certainties crumbling. Traditional values falling away. People are bewildered. Week after week, month after month, they see attacks on the very pillars of our society. The church, the law, even the monarchy, as if 41 dedicated years of dedicated service was not enough. And people ask, where's it going? Why has it happened? And above all, how can we stop it? Hmm. So he's got that kind of... He's very much... I don't think he believed it. He talks in hmm. another speech... Um, uh, 50 years from now Britain will still be the country of long shadows on county grounds warm beer invincible green suburbs dog lovers and pool fillers pool fillers oh pools fillers sorry as in the football pools oh god I was thinking pool fillers like it's an American <laughs> thing isn't it um, I'm just thinking like I'm filling up old swimming pools with gravel <laughs> uh, pools seems like a British thing <laughs> pools fillers and as George Orwell said Hmm. Old maids bicycling to, holy, bicycling to Holy Communion through the morning mist. And if we get our way, Shakespeare still read... E- uh, and if we get our way, Shakespeare still read even in school. Britain will survive unamendable in all essentials. It's this fucking, like, does not describe Britain even in the... No. Even in the fucking 70s. No. Or the 60s. Cycling to Holy Communion. Yeah. That's like... Is that pre-Reformation? Yeah. Do they call it Holy Communion in CV? Do they no, call they, it? No. They, do they call it Communion or? No, that's a Catholic thing. Yeah, I mean they still do the thing. Oh, it's the Eucharist, isn't it? It's the Eucharist in CV. In CV, they don't. Um, they don't do the. They don't do the eating the flesh and drinking the blood bullshit. Uh, no, no, they do, don't they? They don't. No, they do, but it's Protestants the, don't don't believe in. Um, Protestants do do it, but they don't believe it's real. They don't believe it. Lit- <laughs> the priest literally turns it um, into the body and I blood think of Christ. Maybe High Church does the mm. thing, but not mm. a standard CV church. Not. I don't yeah. think. I don't think communion is a thing that was happening in '93. <laughs> in all in over 1993, mm. old maids were not bicycling to Holy Communion. At least not as a representation of what no. was happening in most people's lives. No. It's so strange. As I've said, the uh, the kind of long, long period of power of conservative dominance meant that all these Tory MPs who had been in their seats for 12, 13 years, they were starting to get a little bit weird hmm. with it. So there were a lot of sleaze scandals. Hmm. I'm just going to read out a few. Okay. <laughs> 1992, 
David Mellor resigned as the National Heritage Secretary. Mellor had been subject of intense press attention regarding his extramarital affair with actress Antonia DeSantra. Mellor remained in office for two months after the story broke, but was forced to resign when it was revealed that he had accepted a free holiday from the daughter of the PLO's finance director. <laughs> it's so. It seems so low, lowbrow now. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, PLO. Yeah, I know him. <laughs> Chairman of PLO. Uh, 1993, between September and November 1993, newspapers revealed that junior transport minister Stephen Norris had separated from his wife and was conducting simultaneous affairs with three different women who were not all aware of each other's existence. A further two long-term mistresses from his past were also exposed. (laughs) 1994. Uh, Tim Yeo resigned as Minister for the Environment and Countryside following the revelation that he had fathered a child during an extramarital affair. Yeo had previously criticised the number of single mothers in Britain. (laughs) Because they're always nagging at him. January 1994. Alan Duncan, remember him, resigned as Parliamentary Private Secretary after it was revealed that he had acquired a council house at a reduced price by exploiting a government programme to increase home ownership by the (laughs) underprivileged. January, again, January... Oh, wow, there's a lot in January. Uh, married Conservative MP David Ashby admitted that he had shared a hotel bed with a close male friend on a rugby tour, but denied claims by his wife that he had left her for a man. <laughs> Conservative MP Stephen Milligan was found dead as a result of autoerotic asphyxiation. Fantastic. Hartley Booth resigned as a parliamentary... Hartley Booth. Hartley Booth. That's such a great name. Resigned as a parliamentary private secretary. The married father of three, a Methodist lay preacher, claimed that his 22-year-old female researcher had seduced him into kissing kissing and cuddling. (laughs) I love that. That's so good. That's so much better than autoerotic asphyxiation. Is it, though? Being seduced into kissing and cuddling. (laughs) That sounds so... Oh. That sounds like proper like carry on tiffin. Yeah. We're going tiffin, and in carry on, it's only like they're inside a wardrobe, <laughs> and like they're all skewiff. <laughs> that's oh. <laughs> oh, that's adorable. Uh, Michael Brown resigned as junior government whip after the news of the world revealed that he had taken a holiday in the Caribbean in the company of a twenty-year-old man. At that time, the age of consent for sex, same-sex male relationships was twenty-one. He lay, that? he lay it. Uh, by the way, the last since uh, Tim Yeo, all of those were in three months. <laughs> now we're on to July. David Tridinick and Graham Riddick resigned after being caught by the Sunday Times c- taking cash in exchange for par- parliamentary questions. October, Tim Smith resigned as Northern Ireland minister after being accused by the Guardian of accepting cash on behalf of to ask questions on behalf of Mohammed El Fayed. October, 25th October, Neil Hamilton resigned as a minister for the same thing. March 1995, Robert Hughes resigned as minister responsible for the Citizens' Charter over an affair with a constituency worker who had come for him to help from abu- for help from an abusive relationship. Oh, my God. April 1995, <laughs> Richard Spring resigned as a parliamentary private secretary after a News in the World sting caught him in a three-in-a-bed sex romp with a male acquaintance and the acquaintance's girlfriend. Oh, I miss the News of the World. Like, not the, not the news of the world hacking dead teenagers' phones or, mm. you know, mysterious journalists turning up with hatchets in their heads and shit like that. I miss the journalist news of the world where you'd be, like, romps. Remember, like, on a yes. Saturday night, you'd have, like, the advert yeah. for, like, some, like tomorrow in the news of the world. And it was like, 20p, news of the world. Yeah, it was just filth. Yeah. News of the world was, like, the grottiest of grotty. They must have worn out the romp keys on oh, yeah. whatever they were printing their papers on there. Yeah, that's the thing. It's, it's upsetting that the, the days of the parliamentary sleaze romp is gone. Because you couldn't refer to anything that happened at Dolphin Square as a romp. Yeah, no. 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 They were like. I think a romp requires active participation. 
Yeah, by all part by all parties. In fact, if anything, excessive participation by all yeah. parties. Romp implies a more carry on Benny Hill mm. element to it. The um the the sore elements of Dolphin Square <laughs> just don't really mesh at all. Um, yeah. There is some chasing in a romp, I imagine. Yeah, you know, there's yeah. some chasing. Yeah, do you reckon? I bet you in a good old school Tory romp, there is a musician <laughs> just what? playing the. It's the only way a lot of them can get erections. I'm thinking more orchestra on the deck of the Titanic. (laughs) Playing as the ship slowly sinks. (laughs) Um, Oh, wow. Jonathan Aitken in 1995 resigned as Chief Secretary to the Treasury in order to sue the Guardian over allegations that Saudi businessmen had paid for his stay at the Paris Ritz Hotel, that he had enjoyed inappropriate commercial relations with two British Lebanese arms dealers while Minister for Defence Procurement, and that he had procured prostitutes for a Saudi prince in his entourage. He was one of the ones that Lord Tolopandi defended. Was he really? Yep. That's Lord Tolopandi who stole money from grieving families at (laughs) Aberfan. <laughs> oh, that's the Desolation Radio thing today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I, I, I still am, I haven't listened to that, but you've been telling me about it all day. It sounds <laughs> horrifying. Yeah, but it's nice to see that, you know, the, the quality of the men that he was defending. Uh, June 1996, Rod Richards resigned as Welsh Office Minister after his extramarital affair was disclosed in the News of the World. Richards had been a staunch advocate of the Back to Basics campaign in his strongly religious Welsh constituency. Uh, and later on in 1996, I, I haven't written down a date, Shirley Porter, um, if you heard of the Homes for Votes scandal mm. in Westminster, that's when she was, um, that's when her role in it was revealed. Basically, she was using assessments, council assessments in Westminster for um, what who council housing should be sold to. Okay. Um, cheating the results and making sure that council residents who are more likely to vote Labour, council mm. house residents who are more likely to vote Labour, were moved out in favour of plusher conservative <laughs> voters. Charming. She, as I remember, I believe she was still in Westminster Council up until recently. <laughs> Maybe even still. Uh, in January 1997, the News of the World revealed that Conservative MP Jerry Hayes had been engaged in an extramarital affair with a young man. The affair began in 1991 when the man was 18. I remind you again, the age of consent for same-sex male relationships at the time was 21. That the Tories were very much in favour of keeping. <laughs> yeah. Piers Merchant's affairs in later on in 1997, Piers Merchant's affairs with a nightclub hostess and his researcher were revealed. <laughs> nightclub hostess. Nightclub hostess. It doesn't say whether... Uh, that seems there's a comma there, so I assume they're separate people. <laughs> And also, John Major in 1993 successfully sued the New Statesman for allegations that he was having an affair with a Downing Street caterer. Of course, later on in 2002, it actually turned out he'd been having an affair with Edwina Curry, the junior health minister. Yeah. But there you go. I just like that. I wouldn't have sex with someone who works at catering. (laughs) And also, as well as all the sleeves, you've got the BSE scandal Mm. with, Mm. like, the, you know, eating British beef will kill you. Yeah. In a really horrifying way, yeah. in an indeterminate time, like the, like the asbestos poisoning yeah. of the burger world, and I, the only thing I remember about EC, other than like piles of cows, was the yeah. then agricultural minister Gummer, yeah, force feeding his daughter a beef burger to prove how safe they were, <laughs> and you know it has a long incubation period. That that kind of thing as well. That was like the um, 
not so much like the pet. I suppose it's, it's similar with foot and mouth in that no government comes away, even if it's like the correct thing to do in that in that instance. Mm. It doesn't. No one. No government comes away well from the mass slaughter of life. Mm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's Those not, images of piles of bodies on the news. That yeah, it's not a good. That image. is bad. Um, it's a bad yeah. image to cultivate. Yeah, and I can't remember. I might be wrong, but I'm pretty certain it was to do with it was like because they were part of cattle feed was old cattle. Yeah, because they were reusing old cattle that yeah. died in the cattle feed, and that's how it was getting transmitted. Yeah, it's that big of industrialized farming, and you're yeah. starting to get the first kind of problems of that. That you know now we get another problems with it now. Yeah, but, you know it's all like again, it's all this stuff that comes out of this time of Tory's lease. Yeah, and also you can hear one of our co-hosts, my cat Mouse. Yep, Mouse shouting. Just Not the like shadow co-host. Yeah, I think I'm going to put up some pictures of some of the other cast of our podcast that are usually quite quiet. Like my beautiful <laughs> Chani, she's just sitting there quietly. Just sitting there quietly licking herself, you know. She knows naught of BSC. No, she's a good cat. <laughs> she's, well, her favourite food is vegan food at the moment. Really? She keeps on stealing my vegan ham. <laughs> so yeah, you've got this, there's, it's... It's an ever-present attitude because while you've got all of these Tories, Tory MPs partying like it's 1789, yeah, you've got the figure of John Major who seems just so out of touch mm. and so he just seems kind of away. He seems distant in a way that, like Thatcher, when she was distant, she seemed almost like godlike. She, yeah, she was distant because she was above you. Yeah, she Not had control over everything, and I think that was definitely to a country that's like been raised to revere monarchy mm. it definitely chimed some bells in that yeah. in that kind of part of your brain whereas the kind of distance that John Major had was the kind of distance that Margaret Thatcher had in her lady years <laughs> <laughs> a slightly absent minded uncle yeah <laughs> or aunt <laughs> and yeah like they'd kind of they had run out of steam internationally as well because yeah. there was this constant fear they were the last I think not the last generation certainly to worry about like Britain's decline like as a great power. Mm. So they were John Major was lucky in that he got the kind of the end of the Soviet Union to to kind of be pictured with like Helmut Kohl and Gorbachev and mm. and all that all that lot. Um but it it never really it kind of it I think there was definitely a feeling that like Britain was becoming a backwater and all of the mm. kind of really pushing the Union Jack and really pushing the armed forces. Yeah. They were trying to just like push push back on that on that thing because they they'd won all their domestic and like they'd won like the new right, mm. the hard right had won their ideological battle. Yeah. You know? So you've got like um they kind of retreat into nostalgia. Mm. Which Thatcher had done, obviously she she definitely looked back more than I think she she looked forward as opposed to what she actually did. Mm. Major kind of like pushes a bit harder in that direction. Like mm. it's more aimless. There's less like Thatcher probably had the Second World War as she was trying to market it as like a direct experience. Mm. So I'm in this battle with the unions. They are the enemy, yeah. the enemy within, whatever. And I am Churchill. Um, I'm on the battlefield. I'm I'm in the command center. I'm desperately fighting this defensive battle on behalf of all of you. Mm. Talking to her, you know, her middle class base and yeah. her her upper class, upper class kind of base. Mm. Whereas John Major has this sense of like you're looking back. At Churchill, yeah, 
as it's like, look what a great man he was. Of course, we don't have to fight any more of his battles because we've all won. Yeah. And so he's always tarred with that kind of like weakness, yeah. that kind of like, yeah, like armchair warrior almost kind of kind of mm. feel. And he doesn't really, in his policy, doesn't really do anything to to dispute that. Like he actually set up the what would become the Ministry for Culture, and at the time it was called the Department for National Heritage, which is yeah. really fucking like Orwellian. <laughs> Um, it was apparently widely assumed to have been a gift for his friend and fellow Chelsea fan, David Meller, <sighs> partly as a reward for steering the sale of ITV franchises <laughs> as a junior home office minister, but he survived only five months in the role. <laughs> so, the sale of ITV, yes. and David Cameron, one of his first jobs was mm-hmm. he was like his, he was David Meller's assistant. Yes, David Cameron and then was... David Cameron went to work for Granada. David Cameron was a very, very young um, Conservative Party member and kind of back office guy mm. in the 1992 election. Mm. Um, there's, I, I can't, I didn't actually pick it out for my notes, but there was a, a quote of him saying, you know, we're in charge now, this mm. is it. Because there was definitely, like to, to flip it a bit, after the 92 election, there were a load of people in the Labour Party who I think kind of dropped out. If they were... There's a whole generation that have grown up under Thatcher mm. and they hate what Thatcher's done. They hate everything she stands for. They're the young people. They're new. But they're kind of getting into their 30s mm. in the 90s. And the 92 election with under Kinnock was like the last little spurt. It's like, we can get rid of the Tories if we win this election and then yeah. they lose and so they're just like oh fuck it and it's well fuck it then I'm you're dropping away like there's a quote from John Farrell let me just look up here yeah John Farrell said uh, I had always known it was impossible for one person to change the world on their own but I felt so bitter about the outcome of the 1992 election that I stopped particularly trying like they you're getting to kind of generation X like in a yeah. in a kind of the whole of the West sense. You've got Generation X coming up, they're quite cynical, they're quite um, critical of power in any in any sense. Yeah. They're not going to try and claim power for themselves, mm. so they're just going to drop out, mm. which is what a lot of people did. It helped that a lot of the cultural currents at the time were that had been present in the 80s were kind of able to be monetized. So I'm thinking particularly of like stand-up comedy. Yeah. So you have like um, Badil and Skinner and Jack D. Yeah, we take all those. And they start doing like stadium tours. Like yeah. That was that. Who's the guy who's with, um, he's that guy who did that really great show on oil um, a few years ago. He did a stand-up show. Stroke oh, the Yes. He did um, Wembley Stadium. He was a comedy partner with David Badil and he did a stadium show that like in those like remember the 90s things. Hmm like alternative comedians come on talking head shows now and say that was the death of alternative comedy because mm. they were doing this huge show. They came in on like zip wires and all this kind of razzmatazz. Mm. And it was kind of the end of the single alcoholic talking in a basement in Derby. Yeah. That's sort of, it's, it's weird because it's sort of coming, it's sort of still going, coming back kind of where you yeah. say it like with, like the fringe is just full of mm. um, stand-ups. It always has been, but um, yeah, it seems like that's always the goal now. Yeah, to, bit to the stadium tour, and it's a bit. Yeah, definitely. So you have, um, as well as you've got the Department of Heritage, you've got um, the the start of the what's it called? The I've got it here. Planning the Planning Act of nineteen ninety, which was when you first start having like Grade Two listed buildings, things oh. like that. So. It's this attempt to preserve what's left. To start freezing things. 
to start freezing things in Saving a moment those in horrifying time. horrifying sash windows that make everything cold. Well, there's there's reasons why kind of it wasn't until much, much later that the kind of more modernist mm. buildings and the kind of Art Deco buildings started getting listing, listed. Yeah. Listed building status. Yeah. He's trying to balance that kind of... Um, he's trying to balance the free market thing with the nationalism thing. And it... They're so still it, they're yeah. still trying to get that across, they're and it seems it seems weaker every time because we know what side they come down on every time. It's yeah. the free market thing. Yes, yeah. that's the thing that makes them powerful as a class. Yeah, it's what what's freaking out so many hardline Tory Brexiters about the Tory party now not yeah. being too Brex as Brexit as they'd like them to be. Yeah, because every time they pretended, it's just pretending. Hmm. So he's there's a lot of like focusing on. Um, Different different folk devils, like a lot of the uh, legislation of this era was quite punitive, as well as trying to reinforce, kind of stick certain things in place and mm. make it clear what kind of thing that his class felt important, which was old white men. Mm. There's also a number of kind of, almost, yeah, like I say, like folk devils, moral panics. There's the usual ones over um, unwed single mothers. I remember like when I was a kid, because I was, what, like, I was 10 in, we were 10 in 1994. Mm. So it's kind of the first thing, kind of things that you remember. Mm. And the things that I remember were conservative MPs going on TV and talking about unwed single mothers yeah. all the time. Mm. As if, if they disappeared, everything would be all right. Yeah. There's still a residual kind of home of, well, not residuous, no, residual no, down, downplays it massively. No, but there, still severe. there is, there, there it is, wasn't as bad as it was in the it, 80s. It, it's not as, it's not as bad. You had section 28. Mm. Uh, which was still in place and vociferously defended by the Tory party. Yeah. They would never, ever, you know, they would not let that go. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't repealed until, I think, 2000. Mm. And, um, yeah, so you've got a few, like, moral panics. So, Pitbull Terriers. Yeah. Yeah? That Dangerous Dogs start. Act comes in in 1991. Um, specific breeds of dog being outlawed. Yeah. Yeah. As if they are uh, uh, an evil all on their own, yeah. as opposed to they were trained or not properly trained yeah. to fight and injure things, mm. you know? Um, a big one was ravers and travellers. Mm. So, yeah, I remember the raver paddock. Yeah, the, the Criminal Justice and Ruining Public... Farms. <laughs> Criminal Justice and Public Order Act 1994. Uh, a few things in, in that act. Substantially changed the right to silence of an accused person, allowing for inferences to be drawn from their silence. <laughs> Police great gate were uh, given greater rights to take and retain intimate body samples. They mean blood and cum. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, increased police powers of unsupervised stop and search. Uh, Section 80, which repealed the duty imposed on councils by the Caravan Sites Act 1968 to provide sites for gypsy and traveller use. Grant aid for the provision of these sites was also withdrawn. Uh, collective trespass and nuisances on land. And uh, sections against raves, which <laughs> this got a lot of um, coverage at the time because it specifically defined music. <laughs> so you were not allowed to um, play uh, trespass on like uh, like la like public land, yeah. like fields and warehouses and things like that. Gave the police extra powers to prosecute people who did. It defined music as sounds wholly or predominantly characterised by the emission of a succession of repetitive beats. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> and had further sections on disrupting, hunt-sabbing, and things like that. So yeah. 
they're identifying really clear enemies in a way that like I don't think they would do now. They no. would they would investigate what they don't like and then make legislation that affected them and go, oh, well, it just happens. So I just think everybody should be under the same law. And but, you know, this whereas is, this specifically targets like dance, this, isn't this where like um, dance festivals? Guido Fawkes started to make all his money from like rave stuff, didn't he? That he did and sending and selling photos to the news of the world. Yeah, that he did that very specific like rave scene birthed mm. a lot of. There was the kind of good people mm. who came out of it, like who? Uh, K- KLF. Oh shit! <laughs> KLF, the Orb. Mm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> stupid hippie. You're a stupid hippie. <laughs> and yeah, you also had then the libertarian wing who came out of it. The 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 more libertarian people, yeah, tended to come out of that. Yeah, that kind of thing. Um, other kind of targets of uh, of general general hatred. The multicultural city. So there were a number of riots. Recessions always bring riots. There were mm. riots in um, Hansworth in Birmingham, Blackbird Lees in Oxford, Cates Hill in Dudley, Meadow Well on Tyneside, Ely in Cardiff, and Hartcliffe in Bristol. Uh, areas that specifically were full of left-behind working-class communities yeah. that had possibly had paid employment before, but had been shattered by the deindustrialization of Britain. Yeah. So it's specifically targeting those who were left. Mm. Uh, you also had um, their own children. So this is the era of like uh, Jamie Bolger mm. was murdered in 1993, and a young Tony Blair came out in 1994, made a very famous speech about how um, this was symbolic of a moral decline. Yeah. He's already adopting kind of John Major, like the kind of inverse of John Major's yeah. like position where John Major is always kind of you know his morality is like this positive thing that mm. needs to be guarded like Tony Blair is in the is in opposition so he's talking about like moral decline yeah like that's the reason he's already adopting he's starting to sound like a Tory he's, st- he's sounding like a Tory exactly um, Philip Lawrence as well uh, headmaster was stabbed outside mm. school mm. in 1995 another kind of like Children are regard are beginning to be regarded as dangerous, especially if they're in inner cities yeah. or are not white. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I remember the um, Jamie Bolger thing. That's like, like that's a probably a bigger thing that affected parents with regards to letting their kids go out than like Madeleine McCann did. Yeah, certainly. Um, I think it was already mostly it's underway. It's also because the footage as well was mm-hmm. really horrible. Um, but yeah, yeah. Um. And like the thing you notice about all of it is quite a lot of the things that they're really targeting are working class pursuits. I'm not saying like dog fighting shouldn't be banned, like that no. dangerous dogs act. I'm not saying people should be mauled by dogs, but the kind of dogs that were being owned were specifically owned by like yeah. working class people. And yeah, they were they said like the pit bull terrier breeds, which it covers so much. Mm. Um, mm. But you know they started to demonise traditionally working class dogs. Yeah, um, the they one weren't going for borzois. Yeah, yeah. The other thing I was going to mention was um, football hooligans. Mm. Hooliganism. Like, uh, English teams have been banned from Europe for quite a few years, and yeah. I think they were allowed back in in, like, 92, 93, mm. uh, ever since the, the Heisel disaster. You had the founding of the Premier League, mm. which was the kind of beginning of what you're seeing now with the gentrification of football. There's a lot more money in football mm. from TV rights. Standing stadiums um, after Hillsborough had yeah, been slowly phased out. And, again, it's not that these things aren't, like, positive steps but the way that they are framed and what they do yeah overlay to society in general there's a kind of general cracking down on 
on working class culture and mm. a, a promotion of what would be typically like middle class things. So heritage, mm. old houses, mm. things like that, you know. There's also, in parallel to this, there's an entire cultural generation who've dropped out, as we said, of the of politics in general, mm. and a swing towards adopting those working class things that had been taken away. Mm. So you're looking at things like, again, David Baddiel does mm. fantasy football. So mm. football becomes a thing that is not a class pursuit, but a kind of... A badge that middle class people can adopt to kind of to show they're not a yuppie. Yeah, to a certain extent, to kind of suggest like the classless society that mm. um, they had always wanted had actually already been been achieved, but like culturally rather than politically. Yeah. So you know, we we don't bother with all the kind of yobs and the thugs and mm. the whatever. We don't have to deal with the danger of it. But what we do have is everything else, all these pastimes, all these like signifiers of, yeah. of, of things. We have that, mm. you know? This whole generation dropped out of politics entirely. And there's a, uh, I'm not going to read the, the quote, but there's a, uh, Orwin Turner is one of the few books I could actually find that he puts forward like this kind of idea that because this whole generation of 30-something, very like, Cultural movers and shakers, shall we say, the, mm. the like the that that section of the middle class, the intelligentsia, mm. except not yeah. that intelligentsiary, yeah. had kind of taken this working class thing and dropped out of politics. And there's a huge hollowing out of an entire generation of people who should have been taking progressive politics in a different direction mm. like it's one of the reasons why tony blair was able to get away with so much mm. he actually does a breakdown of who had been in the cabinet and i think after john major there's a who was born in i think the 40s there's a a gap um of people uh, who were born like from i think it was 62 up until about 67 like there's a gap of five years where there are no there's no like um cabinet members who were born in that who were born in that period who, all gone. who hold prominent office because no, people of that age who came to so if they were born in say 65 mm. and they're 30 in 1995 and they're not up. they're not going into politics they're mm. not going into politics in a parliamentary level and they're not being political even in in a in a cultural sense because mm. they have this whole other it's it's boring or it's yeah. it's passe or it's lecturing yeah or something like that you know what i mean mm. so tony Blair, who is maybe 10 years older than that, can get away with a shitload because yeah. there's nobody coming up behind him. It's why, like, Jeremy Corbyn, how old is he? 68? The people under him are the Jack Straws of the world. Mm. The people under Jack Straw don't exist. Mm. And then you've got the maybe the 30-somethings who've grown up under Blair. Mm. And the actual real radical kind of future of the Labour of the party are people like Laura Pitcock. Mm. Yeah. And... She's in what late twenties, mid twenties. It's uh, it's weird. The nineties are a, a weird time. Mm. Like there's so fucking much in it, and I haven't had a chance to go <laughs> through. Like you did, like you literally just reminded me of the BSE thing. Mm. Like I had completely forgotten about that, and that was a huge fucking thing. Yeah, well, there's like um, there was the other thing around then as well. There was the egg stuff with the mm. kite mark. No, the kite mark. That's something else. Yeah, but the line mark. Where um, I didn't realise it was only recently that apparently you were allowed that you were supposed to um, up until recently you were supposed to make sure your eggs weren't runny <laughs> because there was a chance of someone up. 
So there was lots of like food. Yeah, well. God, that was that thing. That was Edwina Curry as well, wasn't it? Yeah, she was that's... the one who started that. Yeah. Hmm. Um, towards the end as well, you have. Towards the end as well, you have um, all of this sleaze and all of the kind of fallout over Europe. We haven't even touched Europe, mm. which was a fucking horror show for, mm. for Major as a leader of his party. You had so much division and so much split that when Tony Blair was kind of coming into power, his big thing was whatever happens, we're unified on the surface mm. because you've got this media that is voracious, will never stop kind of hitting you as hard as it can. Yeah. So... At the same time as I'm pulling the Labour Party to the right, because Thatcher's won the argument. She is the future. She's it now, forever. Mm. John Major does nothing to disprove that. We've got to go in hard on that, but we've got to go in hard on that from our our side, like mm. a cosmopolitan middle class mm. side, rather than a, like I say, parochial kind of like old white man yeah. kind of way. So that kind of gets very like rigid everything gets very rigid mm. you have if you're going to go into politics you better be fucking squeaky clean mm. you better be absolutely on message all the time and you've got to be disciplined all the time don't fuck up ever because you're out yeah. which is like a weird byproduct of the the major sleaze era mm. it's really weird so you're left when Tony Blair comes into power with like this there's this definite euphoria everybody who supported Labour in 1992 were massively Happy, enthusiastic yeah. but it's a kind of enthusiasm of kind of oh finally mm. without actually it's more of a again it's considered in cultural terms it's ah oh, the young people are coming in the mm. young dynamic people now we can get things moving D-ream. without ever yeah D-ream mm. without ever talking about what direction it's going in mm. or what they plan to do mm. and Try and get more into that next week. Yeah, I think on the Blair thing. Okay, but to cheer us up a bit after all those facts and analysis, yeah, we'll talk about the the stuff that was going on culturally around then, specifically the stuff with TV, because this is like yeah. the height of the worst of British sitcoms. Stuff that I like. I've been watching a lot of them again, and for the most part, I find them unbearable. They are appalling. But the thing is, it was like it was that thing that came out with the BBC, the most successful BBC show that sold all over the world, is keeping up fucking appearances. The most exported television program being sold to nearly one thousand, sold nearly one thousand times to overseas broadcasters, beating out Attenborough. <laughs> and if you want to know why the world hates us, <laughs> I fucking love keeping up appearances. We're going to talk about this yeah. in a minute. What did you watch? Um, I've I've watched a lot. I watched. The Brit-ass Empire. Mm. That's appalling. Mm. That's just like... Um, it's That's just, so it's fucking like good. of a man whose life is just shit. Because it's about a bloke who's the manager of a leisure centre. Yeah, it is. And he's horrible. And that's a recurring theme in British sitcoms, especially around the 90s, that the characters are horrible. They're bad people. And I think he's a cuck. Or... Um, no, he totally. His wife is totally cheating on him all the time because yeah. she cannot stand him. Yeah, and she's like a major character, and she presented sympathetically. Yeah, as if he's so unbearable to be around. Yeah, that she constantly cheats on him. And it's like the, the first one. It's like it's starting to have this thing of Tories aren't in any way something to aspire to or like. Mm. It's like a load of a load of um, people who would have been in politics went away from politics and being involved in that sphere and just started writing a load of TV about how Tories are disgusting. Because you've got that, you've got um, Thingy, um, The New Statesman. 
Yeah, I have. I don't. Th- I if I have seen the new statesman, I haven't seen it for years. Oh, it was that's again. Well, yeah, because the main character in that is a conservative MP. Yes. called Alan Bastard, <laughs> played by Rick Mail, and he's a monster. Yeah. Um, more monstrous than his character in Bottom, which is what I watched a lot of. Because Bottom <laughs> is great. Yes. Um, with the lovely character of I can't remember what Rick Mail's character is called. But Adrian Edmondson's character is Eddie Hitler. <laughs> and like the first episode of that is about them trying to get ladies. Yeah. No, they're always trying to get ladies and they spend yeah. like their gyro on um uh hustler. <laughs> yeah, and um, they go to a sex shop and they buy pheromones. To spray all over themselves before going to the pub on the council estate and try and seduce women. And they um they buy um Half pints of bitter, of the cheapest bitter, but have it served in pint glasses to give off an air of grandeur and excess. <laughs> and then they just try to sexually assault women. They're just like waft, they're like spraying this stuff all over their crotches and just sort of waving at them. And they're just monstrous, hideous creatures. Let me just put on my politically risque Burzum t-shirt, <laughs> slick my hair back and stick my cultural, culturally enlightened hipster uh, glasses on here. So what you're saying is, bottom is basically... The original It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yes, yes, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Um, As the casual violence. Yeah, and then they beat the down. shit out of each other at the end mm. of the episode. Every, every episode they beat the shit out of each other. And there's usually a lot of fire as well, because they can't cook. They live like scum. They're yeah. just monstrous. I always remember, because they, um, they were meant to live in Hammersmith, weren't they? My mum's yeah. family lived around Hammersmith and um, Shepherd's Bush at that point. Mm. And it's the memory I have of the 90s, early, uh, like London in the early 90s. Mm. Is whole areas because like the opening credits are just like this devastated building site, and they're looking out of a window, but then you see that it's not a real window; <laughs> yeah. it's um like a fake window, mm. like on a shitty building site. Yeah. Um. So I watched a lot of bottom, and yeah, it is it's they're just horrible. But um, the general message is you're not supposed to like them. Everything they do yeah. is monstrous, and so yeah. they're just talking about things in society. To be fair, that's horrible. also the that's also the message of um, British Empire. Yeah, yeah, but British Empire isn't funny. <laughs> well, that's one of the um, funny. Yeah, games. that's a, no, but like what I love like. I started thinking about this. I saw this thread on Twitter um, mm. a few months ago, and people were listing like their favourite sitcoms. Mm. Peep Show comes up a lot, obviously it's great, but somebody pointed out that they didn't see a lot of the early '90s sitcoms mm. on there, and like the best Brit and pointed out that like the best British sitcoms have this like desperate. Like this, des- they're not necessarily always funny, but they've got this like desperate fitting in quality to them. Mm. There's a load of people who are utterly, utterly fucking miserable. Like in the British Empire, he's like everybody in it is pretty miserable. They're mm. kind of getting on day to day, but like he's miserable. I think I was looking up the British Empire actually, and the last episode, it turns out the entire series was a dream of him on his way to an interview to be a leisure centre manager. Oh my god! And he dreamed the entire series, uh. and it's like. I, I watched for this assignment, I mm. watched a lot of Keeping Up Appearances. Now, I love Keeping Up Appearances. I think it's incredibly funny. It's I really think it's, yeah, it is. It's, it's super, funny. super funny. And super fucking dark. Oh, the yeah, more I was watching it, grim. the more it's like, if you took a laugh track off this, mm. off this it would be horrific. It mm. would be like a fucking mid-80s, like, uh, misery play. Yeah, like a Ken Loach thing. It's so weird, like... So you've got, if you've never watched it, you've got Hyacinth, who's like a 
a woman in her 50s. She's this social climber mm. living in uh, a suburb somewhere in the West Midlands, I think it's meant to be. Okay. She's got a put-upon husband who's uh, like a low-level civil servant who one of his on-running arcs in the series is that he's being made um, involuntarily redundant. Yeah. And I watched one of the episodes where he gets told it. He just gets a phone call and he's vacant for the rest of the um, the episode. Now, the joke on the surface mm. is that um, he gets to spend more time with his horrible, like, nagging Dragon wife. wife. Like, horrible, horrible wife. Yeah. But there's a load of lines in it where, like, all I can see... Like, I'm just looking into the void and I'm seeing a recurring motif and it's you telling me this. <laughs> and it's like, it's really fucking dumb. She's got... It's perfect because she's got... Um, she's kind of working class, but she's managed to kind of marry up a little bit. So she's she's probably lower middle class. She surrounds herself with weird, tasteless knickknacks. Yeah. Um, she boasts about them constantly. Hmm. She wants to invite only the best people to parties around her house that yeah. no one comes I to. I that she's constantly inviting... There's like a... There's a form, there's like a retired major in the mm. area that she's always like waving at. And he's like... A proper caricature of the old British he, soldier. At the first episode, he probably tries to sexually assault her. <laughs> she goes round to collect some flowers from his greenhouse because obviously he's he's actually upper class and he lives in it alone in a big house and he's yeah. got a conservatory with a whole f- like flower bed and everything. She goes round to get some flowers and he tries he throws himself on her and chases her around and she gets out and like he grabs her coat and takes her coat and she just escapes and she gets out and then there is an element obviously because they're playing it for comedy like. She goes, oh, oh, you know, she's all yeah. all flustered and everything. Glad she got out of that situation. But actually, like I say, you take the laugh track on and you off, and you take the yeah. knowing look to the camera at the end of the scene. She tried to like sexually assault her, rape yeah. her. It's really fucked. Her father is another like fascinating one because her like Britishness is constructed around as as like as we were talking about like the major like traditionalism thing and yeah. like their, his nationalism his his weird kind of uh moral outlook she fashions herself as kind of she she loves british stuff mm. so she wants to sing she can't sing by mm. the way oh no she I cannot sing is the recurring joke but the the joke is also she's never actually tried to learn yeah. she just assumes she'll be good at it yeah um and she doesn't like want to listen to any like foreign composers mm. anything like that now her father is a dementing PTSD ridden second world war veteran who keeps running after like milkmaids and keeps um, reliving the second world war you don't see him uh, his face very often yeah. but he most of the time when you do see him he's got a gas mask on and he's running away from something or stealing a car because he keeps reliving the war over and over again. And in fact, there's a number of different characters who are never seen. <laughs> like her next door neighbour, who she yeah. constantly like barks at. Um, she's got a husband who's away on work and he's never seen, he's never there. Her brother moves in with her, he's divorced. Um, and it's a brother and sister living together, which is fucking really weird, but also mm. echoes back to like a kind of... Like pre-war kind of yeah. weird middle class that relationship with brothers and sisters of a certain mm. class, you know, it's, mm. it's really odd. She's got a son who is away at supposedly away at university that only calls up for money. Yeah, who you never see. It's very very heavily implied that he's gay, and she's completely oblivious to it. But he doesn't talk to his father. 
He, whenever he's uh, like if the father picks up the phone from the son, just hands it over. To he the just mother. hands it over to the mother immediately, who loves him, lavishes money on him, <laughs> will give him anything. At one point, <laughs> she's um, he's asking for money, and she's like, "You want money? What for? Oh, you're joining a you're joining a, a club. Oh, a, a, fen- a fencing club. That sounds lovely. Yeah, Sword of the People sounds lovely. Uh, you say you'll pay me back when you rob your first bank. <laughs> it's really weird. All this, all this dangerous." nasty, dirty stuff mm. is on the outside, which is why she keeps her home so pristine and clean mm. and the door shut. And she doesn't like uh, her husband making like big gestures in public mm. like because she wants to maintain this this, this image of this like this, this upper middle class, upper class like facade. But there's so much emptiness inside it. It's yeah. amazing. I remember there's... Because um, she's Hyacinth Bouquet, mm-hmm. but it's Bucket. Some main thing yeah. for all rooms, right? That's and her look, sister. There's five jokes in it that they repeat constantly. Yeah, like. and her sister, um, who's married to what's it, Oslo? Onslo. Onslo. Yeah. Who's this big fat unemployed? Is he perpetually unemployed? He's perpetually unemployed, and he never wants a job. I think like the first episode, you see him riding a bike in a string vest with like a bunch of cans of lager, and he just sort of dumps the bike into a hedge, walks in, sits down on a beanbag in front of the telly, just starts drinking <laughs> like first thing in the morning. That house is fucked as well because that's where she comes from. So she comes yeah. from a working class background. Her her sister, who's married to Onslow, constantly reads romantic fiction. Yeah, yeah. Because she's unfulfilled. Yeah. Her other sister has uh, is like a kind of like a dynasty soap opera star, like a working class like soap opera star. So she's constantly having like affairs. <laughs> yeah, con- yeah, constantly having affairs with married men. And threatening to kill herself. And there's a load of episodes where she's just walking through scenes in veils trying to kill herself. At one point she takes a load of pills and goes in like it's played for laughs, but like you like I say, you take that laugh track off and it's fucked. It's really fucked. British comedy is pretty dark anyway. It's weird. All the best British comedy has like with Peep show as an example, there's oh. this constant abyss underneath them. They won't change anything. Mm. They're scared to change anything because if they change anything, they plunge into this fucking horrible <laughs> experimental abyss where nothing's true and nothing nothing's for certain and they'd rather yeah. cling to this decaying certainty rather than try anything try anything new. Yeah. Or there's... or open up in any way. From uh, get away from the conventions that they know, mm. it's it's really weird. There's a load of examples of that in the early nineties. Mm. There's um the other one I watched was Afab, which oh, yes, which I again I didn't find it funny at all. Um, that's super grim. Joanna Lumley is really funny. Yeah, um, but she's, then it's, really she's such a tragic character because yeah. the whole point in that is you've got I can't remember what the name of Joanna Lumley's character is. Um, Eddie. No, Eddie, uh, Eddie yeah, and Eddie. Patsy. No, it's Patsy. Oh, yeah, because yeah, it's Eddie and Patsy. Eddie and Patsy, yeah. And Eddie is the main character, and she sort... She's like this... It's She's this enabling monster. She's got this weird job for a fashion label where she doesn't really have to do anything. Yeah. It's um, old media, isn't it? It's old the old fashion world where yeah. you really could find jobs where you could just drink all day. Yeah. And she pretty much maintains her friend in this permanent state of... Mm alcoholic and drug addled oblivion yeah to make sure that she doesn't feel shit for not doing anything either yeah and you have this recurring thing with like her ex-husbands who are like significantly nicer than her. <laughs> and, her, and her suffering daughter but her daughter is played as a nag for being annoyed at her. yeah um but main thing I remember, she's a puritan she's a very puritan character uh what's it Safi yeah saffron yeah, yeah. and yeah it's just 
it's again it's um it's this weird it's this, they live this horrible vacuous existence where they go from failure to failure yeah never doing anything like they've got a load of trends in that in that show as well and they're surrounded by like beautiful things because they're rich mm. they are of, of, of an upper class like media I, fashion they're wearing like. expensive things that look hideous they always look yeah. hideous all the time and that is the point that it's like yeah, oh, it's a, it's absolutely a facade. But also, I remember in that show, they're constantly casting themselves back to the sixties. Mm, mm. They're she constantly, constantly they're constantly looking back. Yeah, and even even sooner to like her ex husbands, and mm. she's always looking back longingly at what what could have been while fucking marching forward and destroying herself. Mm. I haven't seen the film yet. The film came no, out last yeah, year. It seems like that's like nostalgia for that period because we're yeah. in that we're in that era now where we're looking back at the nineties kind mm. of nostalgically. But yeah, it's yeah. But um, there's a couple of and for next week I think I'm going to watch and watch things that aren't comedy. A lot of them um, because around then there's some of the best the best time for British soaps. And the best time for British drama because around in the nineties you have the best soap, the soap that died, Brookside. Yes, which was my favourite soap. Yeah, and after Brookside, I watched Hollyoaks, and that was a mistake. Yeah, it took me a long time to get out of that Hollyoaks hole. Hollyoaks hole. <laughs> it's got a long distance stare. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, the comedy was like super grim, but also they had the the um the the drama. They had some really like good weird ones, like um hmm. Heart of Darkness. Yeah, when was that? I think that was late. That was, nine, that was late eighties, early nineties. Where you had like um, the book, which was weirder, had the ending with the main character, the main character being a police detective trying to find out why his daughter died, hmm. and he ends up becoming a tree. Um, nice. In the film, he doesn't end up becoming. In the TV series, he doesn't end up becoming a no. tree. But also in the nineties, you get and towards the end of the nineties, especially with the Blair stuff, um, you get. Our friends in the north, which is one of the yeah. Best. Oh god, that's fantastic. Yeah, but yeah, we'll yeah. talk about those things we'll, next yeah. week. I think we'll we'll do a, a full Blair thing. Yeah, hopefully next week. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I think we're mm. all wrapped up for this week. Um, you can subscribe to us on iTunes. You can follow us at wdtatw underscore podcast. You can follow me at bm bergamo. Or you can follow Hugh at Tanner Smashing. Yeah. And yeah, That's let us know what you think. Hopefully we'll pivot towards doing more feature material. Yeah. I think of us more of as Guardian's long read <laughs> than an opinion <laughs> column. Or if this doesn't work, we'll just go fo- go back to fucking bragging on people who've said bad shit on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> but this week especially, I'm very glad we didn't do that. Yeah. It's been, <laughs> it's been a bad right. week. No worries. See ya. Bye. about the fighting game when Mr. Hoover said to cut my